You're listening to an FTCR podcast, you boob. Hello, everybody. I am at FTA, and we're back for another episode of uh, Skype Sanctuary. And today, I am uh, very happy and pleased to say that we have a uh, interview with the legendary Archie artist Tracy Yardley. How are you today, good sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. You are more than, than, than welcome. Um, it's been a, a a while ago. I got to interview Ian Flynn. And since after speaking to Ian, I was like, the, the next logical step would be obviously to speak to you because I think. I think most fans of the Archie book, at least the people who read it today, would say that it's probably thanks to you and Ian that the book is as kind of well-received as it is now, because I think Ian started issue 160, and I believe you started somewhere around that. Uh, yeah, on the same issue, yeah. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, um, I wasn't, I'd be honest with you, I, I'd read a few issues of it back in like, from like 10 years ago. And I, I was never really that big of a fan. I mean, it was Sonic, so obviously I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this because it's one of my favorite characters. But then the art would just be, look nothing like how I thought Sonic should look, and they would be doing things which I had no, I didn't know why they were acting that way. And so I like the fact that um, Ian has gotten them more towards how they should be in the game. I think you're like there was there was a section, there was a period of time back when Sega would change Sonic's model every single game, where like the Archie book was like the only place you could get like a sort of consistently good looking Sonic. For like, probably between like say, I don't know, maybe like the uh, Shadow to like Unleashed years, Archie would be the place where you'd be like, you know, Sonic looks good here. Let's go over here <laughs> and look, look at all this stuff. I just want to. I think I probably just start off with the questions. We'd just be saying, were you a fan of the Sonic franchise when you were a child? Uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> My brother received a Sega Genesis for Christmas one year, and it came with Sonic the Hedgehog, and I just I fell in love with the game instantly played it all the time we we got sonic 2 and 3 and knuckles and i wasted countless countless hours playing those games <laughs> nice um so i i guess the other logical question would be to ask when did you first start drawing uh well i yeah ever since i was little you know four or five years old i used to do little drawings of <laughs> again it's funny you know, how video games are kind of a you know fairly big part of my life and my art career because uh when i was Younger, uh, my old, my oldest brother is about ten years older than I am, and he had an Atari, and he would play Pac Man and Pitfall and those sorts of games back in the mid eighties, and um, and I used to draw drawings of Pac Man and the the, the ghosts. <laughs> when the, the Nintendo system came out, I would draw Mario and and the, the Koopa Troopas and stuff like that. So I've always enjoyed video games and the artwork that went along with them, and I've always enjoyed drawing. So. I've always knew that I would do cartoons or you know something as a career. That, that's the only the only thing I ever wanted to do. Ah, nice. That kind of goes into my next question, which was going to be: Did you always want to be an artist? But it sounds like you did. But um, going about that, so when when did you decide then to be a a comic book artist as opposed to say an artist in a, a different medium or field? Hmm. Well, I never really uh, had much interest in what you would call traditional art, you know, like painting or uh, printmaking or sculpture or whatever like that. I mean, I, I appreciate that sort of art. I, I have a, a great appreciation for the artists that have that sort of talent. Painting is not really my forte exactly. I, I did a little bit of watercolor in high school, but it's a much different mindset 
you know, um, that sort of art. Comic books is, you know, or at least you know, it's more involved in line drawing, and painting is much more, it involves different, you know, color, and it's more about shape, and it's just, they're very different, very different uh, mediums and, and, and ways of doing things. So, I mean, I've always enjoyed cartoons also, you know, television, animation. Uh, I can't remember. Back when I was in kindergarten, DuckTales was on television. I would always be frantic on the bus, let's get home so I can see DuckTales. <laughs> I, of course, enjoyed Transformers and Thundercats and those sorts of 80s cartoons when they were on. And... Yep. <laughs> like, like as a as a artist, do you do you go back to those? I mean, I, I was to say I I grew up watching all those shows, and you remember as a kid, you like those shows were amazing, and then you go back and you realize that not only were the scripts bad, but the art was even worse. Do you ever go back? Yeah. Do you ever go back and look? I, especially something like Thundercats. Like I go back and look at some, some of the earlier episodes, and just like this just looks like crap. I mean, like yeah, <laughs> yeah this, the quality is really not there, unfortunately. <laughs> but you have nostalgia. To to get you through. So. Nostalgia is a horrible thing because it just, it just makes us love things that we liked as kids just because we were kids even though they're complete crap. I mean, there's this, this stuff today that I know I know is complete crap but I love. And well, you know, I mean, for good or ill, you know, a lot of those things have made a resurgence like, you know, Michael Bay's Transformers movies. I, you know, of course, they're visually much different and I you know, I personally like them. I, I don't think they're good but I enjoy them. Uh, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're really terrible as far as <laughs> stuff. I like to watch you know CG robots beating each other up so I don't complain too much about it we have, we have Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime I guess that's more than anyone could hope for exactly <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on from that so when you decided to be a uh, a comic artist how did you end up at Archie um, well like um, going back to your question I, I didn't really decide I didn't never really want to do comic books per se for a long time uh, when I was a kid I enjoyed newspaper type you know syndicated newspaper strips more like Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and Foxtrot and sorts of things and that's really more of what I wanted to focus on and even all through college I went to SCAD Savannah College of Art and Design and I would you know I would do all the different other various you know comic book themed projects and other traditional artwork that we did in the, the various classes. But I still always focused on the, the comic strips. And when I was in high school, I began this strip called Life in the Fast Lane, which was basically like, you know, cartoon versions of me and my friends and brother and stuff. Just silly gangs that probably nobody else found funny. I don't know. <laughs> but I continued doing that through college. And uh, Scaddy had a, had a newspaper called the Georgia Guardian. Which they owned, although it was wasn't it wasn't exactly a scan um, propaganda machine or anything. Mm. That wasn't its purpose. It, they just owned it. So anyway, I uh, it was like a weekly publication. So I had a comic strip in there. Uh, again, Life in the Fast Lane. <laughs> and then I also did some uh, some more darker themed <laughs> um, a strip called Alan Hates It for my senior project. It was about a, a, a young guy that just hates everything. Is very depressed and angry and a different type of humor there <laughs> so um but then getting into syndication that sort of doing that for a living is virtually impossible i mean the newspaper comic strip is a disappearing genre those strips are relegated to one page usually in, in, a, in the newspaper and they're printed so small you can barely read them um you know given the prevalence of the internet now and it's you know 
you can, there's all sorts of online comic strips. If you really want to read those, you can find them online now. Pull it up on your iPhone or your your tablet or whatever. People don't need to go to their newspaper to find comic strips anymore. And, you know, I don't think they're very particularly lucrative for newspapers. I don't think they're the big draw that they used to be. You know, when I was a kid, you'd get the Sunday newspaper for the comic strips. You know, that's what you went there for. And I'm sure they still do that. You know, they still print the, the bigger colored Sunday strips. But again, it's I don't think it's as big a deal anymore to most people. Mm. And a lot of those strips are dinosaurs from people that have been doing it for, you know, 40, 50 years or, or have even passed on. And they're still printing their reprints of their strips like Peanuts. So it's very difficult. There's about three major syndicate companies in the U.S. There's probably more than that. But there's about three major ones. They They receive... Hundreds, thousands of, you know, submissions every year. They might pick one or two or three tops for new strips. And then those are passed around to the various newspapers around the country. And, you know, again, I don't think you make a lot of money doing it one way or the other unless you're a huge phenomenon like Peanuts or Garfield. But those are extremely rare. And uh, those are probably most of the money those kinds of things make are based on other merchandising, not really the strip itself. Mm. And it's, you know, again, it's like to get into that job is is probably more difficult than being a, a rock star or a movie actor, you know. And so, uh, you know, I for that one of that's one of the reasons that I decided to shift more toward comic books. Plus, writing a gag every day, even a even a passably mildly humorous gag every day, is really really difficult. <laughs> I don't quite have enough sense of humor to do it, so. I, uh, you know, I decided that when I, you know, after I graduated from SCAD in 2001, I moved around and did some various things, thought about going back to graduate school. I did about a semester of that, decided it wasn't worth the trouble. Then I went to Universal Studios and worked there doing caricatures, and that wasn't very much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although it was, it was helpful to to, uh, hone my skills, you know, uh, my facial anatomy skills. So that was, that was kind of good in that regard. And it was, it was an interesting experience. But then I moved back to Savannah and I started working with some friends of mine on uh, specifically Nate Bowden, who uh, we did the <clears throat> Nate and Steve Ashcan comic books that we produced ourselves. You know, I worked at a gas station during the day and at night I'd stay up and draw comic books and we would do that. We made about three 24 page issues of uh, Nate and Steve. We took those to the various conventions like MegaCon or HeroesCon. And we would sell those for like, you know, $2 a piece and we'd get good feedback on them. And I think they were, you know, I'm proud of that work. And we built a little website to sell them there. And it really wasn't about making money. It was just about trying to get comics out to people. And at the same time we were doing that, a friend of ours from SCAD named Ross Campbell, who's an exceedingly talented artist who uh, is known mostly for his wet moon graphic novel series that's published by Oni Press. He just recently did a few Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle books, which I think is published by IDW. I'm not really sure. IDW. So if you haven't checked those out, there's a big plug there. Go buy those books from Ross. He's fantastic, amazing, hugely talented. And uh, he, he, um, at that time, Tokyo Pop, uh, which is now defunct, they um, were trying to you know, do their own original English language manga, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, English language comic books, you know. (laughs) So anyway, uh, yeah, it's just American manga, basically. And um, 
So they got they gave him a deal to do a book. It, you know, theoretically might have been more than one, but it didn't happen to be more than one. It was a, a zombie book called The Abandoned, which was also really good. Uh, well, they, the only book they've ever printed in it had color in it. it uh, all of the blood and gore was printed in red. <laughs> so, uh, um, <clears throat> I'm sure you can find that on Amazon or, or somewhere, you know, for resale. Um, um, yeah, but he, he told his editor at the time to, you know, check out our work with Nate and Steve. So they did that and they, you know, that got us, uh, uh, they allowed us to do some pitches until we came up with something that I liked, which eventually turned out to be riding a shotgun. I, I, I know I'm digressing a little bit from Archie here, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> the, uh, so we did that, you know, we did eventually ended up getting a, a deal to do riding a shotgun, which is about you know, the basic gist is it's set in the modern modern day alternate reality where everything is just like it is now, except that assassination is a legal profession. You can go get a license and become an assassin and take, you know, hits off of Craigslist or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bump off your, your target and collect your fee. So, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty fun book. We did two issues, uh, two volumes of that in 2006 and 2008 was when they were published and uh right now they're here's another plug they're currently doing an indiegogo fundraiser trying to come up with money to do more animated shorts they did a, a short animated pilot that they tried to sell to spike tv back in 2009 but they didn't uh, pick up pick it up so they're looking to try to do more than that unfortunately the animation costs a lot of money and they're nowhere even close to getting that goal. So, but part of the package is trying to get us uh, the money to do uh, volume three of Riding Shotgun. So hopefully maybe that'll fly. Um, if it doesn't, then Nate and I have decided that we'll probably just try to do it on our own uh, over time. You know, I we estimate that if I do like a page a week, it might take me about three years to <laughs> to do it. You know, because I can't. It's unfortunately uh, this is my job, and I can't just draw pages for free. Um, at least not on a, not at a regular pace, you know. So mm. I have to do my sonic work. Uh, so then, like that you know, again, digressing. I, I we worked on that, and at the same time that I was doing that, we had gone to a convention. This is all big part of the story here <laughs> on how I got to Archie. Um, we were at a convention. I believe it was MegaCon in two thousand and four. We were. I mean, had just started working on writing shotgun. I had like maybe like the first 10 pages I've done. And we were also, you know, um, you know, selling the Nate and Steve books and a, a, somebody that I was just, you know, sort of acquainted, acquainted with a friend of a friend from SCAD was walking by our table and I was doodling some sonic sketches in my sketchbook. And he happened to look down and well, you know, I, he obviously recognized me and he also saw what I was drawing. And he said, wow, that's, that's really good. And he knew, uh, he was you know, acquainted with or friends with Mike Pellerito, who was the Sonic editor at that time in 2005. Um, or, well, 2004 and 5. And uh, he says, you know, I, he, I know he's looking for new guys right now because they were just about to start doing the Sonic X book. So he gave me his phone number and email and I, I, uh, gave him, I sent Mike an email with some samples and I said, I... You know, this guy told me to give you a call or to drop you a line. 
So I did that and he might liked my sketches and he asked me to do some more and he sent me the two little sample scripts, uh, two five page sample scripts that Ian had sent in at, at some other point, which eventually were printed, I think, in issues, I think, I want to say like 197 and 198 or something like that. All right. Or no, 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 no. No, it was earlier before Not Home was destroyed. Yeah. It's like, I forget. It doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, I did those and he liked that a lot. So then he offered me the, um, the chance to do issues 160 and 161, which I did. And he liked those enough that he let me continue. He said, you want to keep doing this? And I said, yes, of course. So I did. And then, so yeah, basically I, I became the main penciler on Sonic the Hedgehog as everyone acquainted with my work will know and i did a round of that i did most every issue up until you know 200 or 201 or something like that there's a few issues that matt herms had done some pencils on top of my layouts and you know and i also did like i think 10 or 11 issues of sonic x out of its 40 issue run and of course when sonic universe came along i i started on that out of I'm working on issue 65 right now, so out of that I've I, I wrote eight issues, and those uh, there's eight issues that I did not draw, so I've done you know quite a few issues. That's that's how I got the job basically. Yeah, I, the two key elements was knowing people and having done the work beforehand. So that's what I always try to tell people is like you know make connections, try to try to network and all that. Which unfortunately it is it is the way of the world. It's, as as much or more than what you know as uh, who you know. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is correct in this day and age. Very, yes, actually, <laughs> it's uh, pretty much always been that way. Mm. Uh, you you brought up a, a bunch of points that we're going to come back to. I think you sure, mentioned sure. you mentioned about seven things that I have questions for. Yeah, that's fine. But um, the next thing I want to say. So obviously, you and Ian are pro you, on the Sonic book. I'd say you two probably have one of the longest kind of joint partnerships of writer and artists so what what is the uh, collaboration process between you and ian like so how <laughs> well there's not really a lot of it actually i mean he does his thing and then i take it and do my thing <laughs> um you know really yeah i mean he's pretty yeah i i enjoy his writing i think it's really good there's a lot of action and stuff it's pretty you know it keeps it simple um and he's come to understand that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I, I try to be as faithful as I can to what he writes, you know, occasionally if I think that a different camera angle or, which he doesn't usually get that detailed in the script unless there's something very specific he wants to see. Or sometimes he'll write like, you know, something happens in this particular panel and I'll think, well, that might work a little better if it was broken into two panels and we could see the sequence, you know. You know with more detail that sort of thing i'm mm. not willing to i'm willing to change that or that you know and he understands that you know yeah i i have his best interest in mind i'm not out to hijack his work so he he, he appreciates what i do and you know on all those few occasions when i i would write it you know the stories for sonic universe i you know i did in fact yes uh, i consulted him closely about what else was happening in the continuity so i didn't uh, screw up anything he was working on or you know so i make sure that i continued his story threads as closely as i could nice oh um, when we spoke to ian one thing he said was i believe i believe it's something you added in the um unit in the scourge universe arc when he's in alternate prison he said it was your idea to put in um 
Alternate Void and Alternate Mephiles? Um, probably. I, I honestly, that was quite a while ago. But yeah, probably so. That's fun to try to, I try to throw in little, um, yeah, little um, Easter eggs whenever I can. Like there's the one scene where I have uh, also, yeah, Bebop and Rocksteady from the old Ninja Turtles cartoon. No, that wasn't in the script or anything, of course. No, well, I, I have to track down that issue. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, they, are, they, aren't wearing, they aren't wearing exactly the same outfits. But it's pretty obviously supposed to be done. <laughs> well, like, do you, like we we do do stuff like that. Do you kind of just hope no one notices, or like, if you ever say, we like, did you ever get like someone Archer that was like, we can't do that. We don't we don't own these characters. Like, yeah, that... generally speaking, yeah, I don't point it out. So, what <laughs> else is, uh, yeah, yeah, made any fuss about it either? So, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, you kind of you kind of touched upon a second ago that you, you've written two arcs in um. In in universe, and you know, you, you just said that you kind of consulted with Ian to make sure that nothing was, you know, um, contradicted in the main in the main uh, series. But how do how do you go about writing? I mean, like, do you just did did, did Archie kind of like have the so when you when I guess when you or Ian plan any of these stories, does, does do the Archie editors ever come to you with a idea like, hey, maybe it'd be nice if we did this, or is it normally always the writer comes up with the with the arc? Well, I. In every every instance that I have done a story, I wrote three issues of Sonic X and now eight issues of Sonic Universe, which isn't very much <laughs> compared to Ian. Not very many issues at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, every time every time that I have done it, I've gone to the editor and said, "Hey, I have an idea. Would you like to do it?" You know, and they say, "He's not." They've always said, "Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll fit that in when we can." So. Um, I initially asked to do it on Sonic X because it was. It was started by Joe Edkin, who wrote most of, the, like, I think the first 15 or 20 issues, and then Ian took over after that. And um, there was a few other other fellows who uh, I'm not familiar with who had written a few other issues, too. So I thought, well, since they're trying out new fellows, maybe I, you know, could jump in there and do an issue myself. So I did issue 24 was the first one I did, and I, you know, I think it was fairly successful. I guess maybe not whether it was great or not, I don't know, but it was certainly enjoyable. And um, then I did another two-parter later on, um, which that was, you know, that is also very strange, very, very different. It does it. The first one I did, you know, was pretty much my straight, my idea, and it turned out pretty much as I conceived it from the get-go. But the other the two-part arc that I did later on with the, turned out to have chaos and supersonic and all this other stuff in there was entirely different from my initial idea. <laughs> Completely different. Because I initially was going to, I wanted to maybe try to do an issue that focused on Cream because she's really, uh, really didn't have a lot of point in any of the stories. And I know it's difficult because she's kind of pointless. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wanted to have her kind of be a, more of a hero in the issue. It, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, my initial idea was that, um, they would go to uh, the the only the only really the only only element that could, uh, persisted was the whole green energy uh, angle. Because um, I wanted to have Chris and his family go visit his his father. I I I thought would have a a large industrial farming um, concern. You know, he's pretty rich. So where does he make this money, and what does he do with it? You know, I thought maybe you'd have a big industrial farming complex. Where they're trying to focus on renewable energy and, and you know uh, crops and things like that. So um, 
I wanted to have, of course, they're taking a tour of that, and Eggman, of course, shows up, and I figured in my original idea, he would get a hold of the farm equipment, the tractors and combines and things, and turn them into robots, of course, and all, you know, havoc would break loose. Um, and I just wanted to have, uh, you know, Cream kind of take a hand and maybe jump into one of these robots and uh, drive it like a, you know, a mech and beat up the bad ones or whatever. So that didn't fly. That, that, that never worked out. But uh, so then Mike Pellerito had, I forget exactly, you know, yeah, he had some other ideas about, you know, yeah, bringing it supersonic and, and various things. So, and just dropping the whole farming angle. So eventually it turned into what it was. Uh, I, you know, I thought that, well, let's have, uh, let's have Eggman <clears throat> get the emeralds and revive chaos and, but encase him in this robot suit that he can't get out of and that sort of thing. So I think it turned out pretty good in the end, you know, um, but that, that, that's definitely a case where editorial input really shaped a lot of that story. Mm. <clears throat> um, then with Sonic Universe, both both times were it was pretty much my idea. You know, I um, the, uh, the Babylon Rogues, Babylon Rising story um, turned out fairly close to what I originally imagined. You know, overall it was really pretty close. The only things that really got changed mostly were just due to the, what else was happening in the story from the time that I originally conceived the idea to when it was published. It was in like a little over a year. So, you know, at that time, Ixus Nogus was not the king or wasn't even really around. Uh, we didn't, you know, we, I didn't know that Sally was going to be roboticized. A lot, of, a lot of different things, you know, came up between, you know, while I was writing it. So, and it all worked out pretty well, pretty amazingly well, actually. Because um, the third issue was really what I really wanted to do the whole story for so I could blow up the city. <laughs> <laughs> I, realized, I thought, well, it's made out of nanites. I could just rebuild it. Why not have a big sequence where it gets destroyed, a la Independence Day? <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, but it turned out pretty well to have Ixus Nogus there because um, he had a nice little foil for the the, bab uh, the uh, battle lord for them to have a you know a all out brawl. And there were a few criticisms I had from some various fans, which were really pretty apt. And I think, you know, uh, one of them was that Ixus Nogus got beat up a little too easily. And what I tried to do was to have those voices in his head distracting him. Unfortunately, I didn't push that enough. I should have had the voices distracting him more, so it would be more plausible that he was taken down quite so easily. And there was another criticism somebody brought up about... Um, Dr. Fukurokov, his device taking down the shield around the city too easily also. And yes, perhaps that was, you know, I think what I should have done uh, would, because Wave is supposed to be such a huge um, mechanical genius, I, what I, I kind of wish I had done now was write a, just a simple line of dialogue of her saying, well, this gadget is pretty good, but with the tweaks I've made to it, it really should do the job, so... It would have been smarter for her to, you know, come up with a gadget that would have taken down the shield since Fukutokov is kind of a, you know, a screw-up. That would have made more sense. Well, well if, 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 the, if the Avengers film taught us anything, is that fans will overlook kind of plot holes as long as the action's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, well, yeah. 
<laughs> but then, yeah, again, again, some of the things that worked out really well, though, too, was that that sequence. I really wanted it to be way huger. Um, what I initially wanted to do with Nicole, there was another. I loved Ian's plot line where the citizens were being turned against Nicole. Probably, you know, it makes a lot of sense, you know, that people are naturally distrustful of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would, you know, have a hard time you know, trusting her after that, the whole um, Iron Dominion thing. And um, <clears throat> I initially wanted her to just let loose and go crazy and say, you know, fine, this is all too much. These people are coming here. The, the Battlebird Armada is coming in to destroy my city. I've had enough of this. And she, like, turns every building and everything into a big gun and just <laughs> fires this huge barrage of lasers and stuff at the, uh, at the, um, the Battlebird Armada. <laughs> there just wasn't enough page space to describe all that. You know, 20, 22 pages is not a lot of time to uh, visually describe a lot of action. So it was much simpler and probably better overall, more in keeping with Ian what was doing because he was having her Nicole shut down and go, you know, inward and, you know, turn away from her friends and be all depressed. So, yeah, I just I just had her go catatonic and say, I can't deal with this. So. That made a little more sense. And Bunny wasn't there because she had just been turned into flesh and blood, like one or two issues before that. Again, um, you know, it would have been that much more I had to cram in there if Bunny was flying around fighting. So she was already essentially taken out of the picture. So that was helpful. And then uh, I got to play with um, Rotor's nanite suit, which I think was really a really great, really cool idea that Ian had and it gave it you know gave him a reason to put it back on and, and go kick some butt so a lot of little little things that really worked out pretty well in that story the only the only thing that I didn't I was disappointed is that I wanted very much to have a chase you know race action sequence at the end of issue four uh, where Sonic uses his smarts to outwit the the rogues and catch get get the hold of the uh yeah, the cube thing, the MacGuffin they've been chasing the whole time. Uh, I just did, there was just no way. I didn't have the room to, to tell that much, you know, to, again, to put that action sequence in there. So I just had him grab it while the villains were bickering with each other, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> That's as well as I could get it to work. Uh, you know, I guess in retrospect, I guess I could have pushed back or scaled back other action sequences earlier on in the book. So I would have more room to do that. However, it's that it's you know hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's very difficult to. to uh, one of the big, biggest challenges with writing these kind of stories is that when you got a four part story arc, every arc has to kind of have a or every issue has to have a beginning, middle, and end mm. with some kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger type of ending for you know to get the readers to come back next month. You know, uh, so to set it up in that way. Yeah, you know, it kind of required a certain amount of stuff to happen on each issue. And so, you know, yeah, live and learn. Maybe uh, I'll do better next time. So <laughs> the, uh, oh, then lastly, I guess with the uh, with the pirate plunder panic thing, there was, <laughs> heaven's sake, there was all sorts of, that turned out a lot different than I originally envisioned it. And the basic structure is there, you know, basically Blaze versus uh, Pirate Metal Sonic. That was that was basically the the entire kernel, you know, the entire <laughs> idea that I had, <laughs> and we went from there. You know, I wanted to have him. Um, you know, one of the big things that had to change was I 
you know, I was going to have him look a lot more like Metal Sonic from the get-go, based, you know, with with pirate flair. And yes, he would be rebuilt uh, with, you know, with a voice and pirate accent like he was. <laughs> and he would be called Captain Metal. And he, that all seems the same, except the Sega, um, you know, came to the decision that there was only going to be one Metal Sonic in the entire Sonic universe, you know, so we couldn't ever actually say that he was Metal Sonic. So, but he, you know, he is the same one that's from issue one. Mm. Universe. He is that one. He was rebuilt. Uh, I put in the story that this doctor, um, forgetting what I call him now, but he goes out, you know, yeah, he's a robot doctor searching for robots in need of help. And it is mysterious whatever happens, you know, he go, he obviously he finds the remains of Metal Sonic, tries to rebuild him, uh, you know. It's implied that Metal Sonic then, uh, you know, knocks this poor doctor off and steals his parts or whatever to uh, augment himself, and that's where he starts on his reign of pirate terror. There's, there's something hilarious just about saying that Metal Sonic goes on a reign of pirate terror. There's <laughs> something humorous about that statement. Um, <laughs> going off from from writing in a bit, so I'd say one of one of the uh, I, maybe key things of a comic book is it would be the cover because normally you know as the cover is what draws people's eyes in and they'll say oh this cover looks good i'll get i'll get this this issue so what goes what goes into designing the cover again is that something that you let's say the the editorial team will say like we need to have this this and this happen on the cover or will the artist just be like i, I have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in this story i'll just draw this um well uh, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you know, what Ian what Ian's uh, writing uh, sequences, he'll do like just a really um, like a a breakdown of what's going to happen in the, the the coming arc, and then he'll break it down and you know page by page. And usually, I'll get I'll get that information long before he's ever written the scripts, because you know they got to do this, the covers and have them ready for solicitations before you know uh, months ahead of time. So I'll get that, you know, I'll know what's basically going to happen in the, in the issues, uh, you know, in the broader themes or some of the, you know, more, less detailed action sequences, you know. So I'll have that kind of information, and then I'll, I'll read it and I'll think about it. Uh, sometimes, sometimes Paul uh, Kaminsky, the editor, will have, you know, sometimes he'll have some very specific ideas already in mind that he wants me to do for cover. But usually I'll come up with, you know, at least three or four, five or six or so different thumbnail sketches of various ideas. And we'll pick, you know, if none of those work, we'll keep working on it. Um, but then usually we'll pick one of those to develop and try to, to move forward to do some more detailed pencil sketch. Um, and then once we get the, really the idea nailed down, then I'll do the, you know, the final pencils and sometimes I'll do the ink myself or sometimes I'll pass it on to Jim Amish to ink. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, that's basically the process. You know, I, I get that, you know, I see what's going to be happening and I try to come up with some iconic image, something that's really flashy or sometimes you, uh, you know, you could do like a movie montage sort of image you know, or you could try to do a more of a storytelling type of cover where you pick a scene that's, you know, you know, really the key moment in an issue and kind of do something that's based on that. 
And it just, you know, it depends. You try to also, you know, you try to do something a little different every time. I've done quite a number of covers and it is getting, it gets more and more difficult all the time to come up with something new and different. <laughs> so yeah, it's tough to come up with eye-catching, you know, interesting images that you haven't already done. I'd, I'd say some of my favorite covers were some of the variants from Worlds Collide. Like any, any of the, the variants that just focused on Eggman and Wily. Like, yeah. like, like I, I'm, in my hand, I have um, Universe 53, and I'm looking at the cover you did with. It's Eggman and Whitey playing the eggs box. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, this, this image is just, like, it has nothing to do with the story, but it's <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's just, yeah. it's just amazing. Those those sorts of things are fun. It's it's definitely fun to step out of the uh, the real character, you know, and do a, a good gag with them. So, yeah, those opportunities don't come along all the time because, you know, you don't want to overdo it. <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun to get to pick out all the little stuff that was in their rec room there with them, the, the toys on the shelves and things. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, this is. Um, I, I've heard that the exclamation at the end of your signature is a tribute to Scott Shaw. How would you say the artists like um, Shaw have influenced you in your work? Um, well, he was a, a pretty big influence. Um, again, largely, mostly through Sonic the Hedgehog when I. Uh, was a kid in middle school i i said we had those games on the genesis and uh, the sonic the hedgehog comic book had started coming out i think right before or right after sonic the hedgehog 2 had come out on the genesis and um i went into my local drugstore with my mother one time and uh, they're on the rack when they used to sell comic books at the drugstore there on the rack was an issue of Sonic the Hedgehog. I thought, oh, look at that. There's a, there's a comic about it. So I picked it up, and it was one of the original four issues of the miniseries. Well, actually, three that Scott Shaw had done the pencils for. Uh, so I got you know I got all, all four of those issues, of course, and I just read and reread them and reread them. <laughs> I really like uh, Scott Shaw's cartooning style a lot. It's very, it's very lively, very, you know, has a you know, distinct American cartoon feel to it. And uh, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if they, I don't think I ever initially, you know, attempted to emulate it entirely, but I liked a lot of the things that he did. And uh, um, just, uh, just in general, I, I, I very much appreciated his style and I, I enjoyed those books immensely. And I thought it was cool that he had an exclamation point on his name. I'd never seen that before. So I, I blatantly stole that. <laughs> All the way through uh, middle school, high school, college, I have always, Except not on legal documents, but I've always signed. I always sign my name with an exclamation point on everything I do. So, <laughs> nice. um, so well, with all of the uh, kind of Archie exclusive characters getting recently redesigned, what, what was it like to kind of relearn how to draw characters which you had worked on for years? Hmm. Well, I don't know. You know, I haven't. I really haven't had a chance to draw those characters very much at all yet. I've drawn. Uh, Antoine and Rotor, um, really. I and Sally. I don't think I've even drawn Bunny in her new incarnation yet. Uh, I, I when we were initially, when we knew that we were, when they knew it was likely they were going to redesign the characters. I had, it asked me to you know just come up with some maybe some ideas for Bunny, and mine were far far different than what uh, what what came out. I like much better what they initially came up with. 
or what they have come up with. Mine was far more uh, mechanical looking, which that's just the way I tend to think. You know, I was like, "Ooh, let's make this. Let's make her arms and legs actually make sense, like with all these joints and things." And <laughs> which is, you know, I think cool. But ultimately, I think their idea is much better to make her more simplified and streamlined. And yeah, I think they. I think what uh, I, I also I forget. I I have to apologize to the the fellow who came up with those designs. I forget who it was that came up with those designs, but they're fantastic. I really, really really like the new designs a lot <laughs> i think they're great same here i mean i think you know i think because they i think who said it may have been ian and one of the ed- editors said that they were redesigned to kind of make more sense now so like in i think there was that i think it was issue was but it was the issue where they had sonic tails and the um freedom fighters in like sega cg and like the the new designs do look like they could fit in a game now which is kind of like you couldn't going back like i wouldn't say that say, uh, pre-reboot Sally would have necessarily fit in stylistically with, say, like, in with the designs that's inside the game. But now, like, you could easily just throw, you know, Roto or Anton into a game and, and stylistically, style, style-wise, it would actually make sense. So mm-hmm. I kind of I like it. Um, to, to quickly go on off now, how does, how does design work on the, on the Sonic book normally get done? Is it normally just, just one Artists will do it, or will say multiple artists take a crack at it, and then whatever works best um, gets picked. Because I know um, you've designed characters like Warden, Zobotnik, and Captain Metal, and then ben, and ben Bates has done a, a Silver Sonic design. So how is it decided who does what? Generally, in my experience at any rate, it's the, if you're working on the story, you usually get to design the characters that are in it. <laughs> uh, not always, you know, not always, certainly... Um, like I said, there was a lot of there's a, a, a much heavier amount of design to do for this whole reboot thing. Of course, they had to design the, um, the Sky Patrol, the flying base, and all the characters and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, all the issues that I've worked on, I generally do the design work. Uh, a lot of times, Ian will come up with some kind of a sketch that he has in mind for what he wants it to look like, and then I'll go from there and I'll. You know, put my spin on it, and uh, you know, put the Bo, Bo Sparrow and those other characters in the in that that recent Chaotix arc. I I got to design all those guys. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah, basically, it just depends on the story. Uh, usually, the ones that I've worked on, I've designed characters or machines or villains or whatever that that appear in it. Again, occasionally, sometimes they'll already be designed for me by somebody else, but uh, usually I do it myself. And then I guess if Ben or whoever else is working on an issue, if something comes up, they'll design it. Slightly unusual, there's a a Mega Man story that's going to have Mega Man X in it uh, coming up. And um, they needed uh, some kind of a, you know, a a robot thing, you know, bad guy machine for for the cover. Uh, so I got to design that, but Spaz will be doing the cover. So that's pretty neat. That's pretty fun to know that something I, I designed will be drawn by Spaz. <laughs> <And> <laughs> no. whoever, whoever else does the interiors or the art will also draw it. So that's that's cool. Nice. Um, like, like you, I'd say like your art has kind of just kind of subtly evolved over the years. For instance, the, the the color part of your character's eyes used to be a bit larger. Is there a process to evolve in your style, or do you just kind of let just subconsciously kind of decide this kind of looks better, and gradually things will just change over the years? Now, yeah, I don't I don't uh, make too many 
conscious decisions to change or evolve what I'm doing. Um, I could the eye the eye thing. I don't even I've never noticed that specifically. So <laughs> I'll have to go back and look and see. Uh, no, yes, yeah. I mean, it's just a natural evolution of. Mm. You know, I draw these guys tens, twenty, you know, hundreds of times, and uh, I just pick up certain ways of doing it. Like just recently, um, Paul had mentioned to me that I was doing, you know, I needed to keep Knuckles, uh, his dreadlocks a little more on model. I guess I wasn't, you know, I'd gotten used to drawing them a certain way, and it, it was starting to to change and not be quite correct you know <laughs> yeah, you, draw these, you try to draw these characters so many times eventually you, you think you know something and then you know you you realize that you've just gotten into a habit of doing something and maybe it's not always correct yeah that, that happened i'm not sure if you've ever read it but the, the british comic book sonic the comic that happened with its head artist richard elson if you look at sonic's head design the spikes go from like pointing downwards and towards the end they're always pointing up and like it, it, if if you follow the book, it, it is a gradual process of like them slowly like drifting upwards. But like mm-hmm. whenever I read some of the later issues, I'm always like, why are his spikes sticking up like that? Doesn't make any sense. But oh well. <laughs> um, also, I'll say going back to your eyes. One of the things that I love, which which you kind of started with in the book, is is you really gave them ex- like their their faces. The characters' faces get really expressive. Eye like the use of their eyes. I think one of um, there, there's, there's a popular meme that meme is like it's, it's an image of tails that just has this kind of like puzzled quizzical face, and I've seen that linked on so many like Facebook and Twitter like pages. But like someone's like posts something stupid, they'll just post that kind of tails like what? <laughs> and another one which is from um, Universe One, which you must have seen. That, it's that <laughs> image of Shadow where like I forget exactly what Marine says. I think I think Marine talks about having a ship, but the ship's broken, and yeah. Shadow Shadow's face is just—I I can't even describe it. It's just like it's, it's like those three panels where like Shadow has the same face, and Marine just kind of slowly walks out of frame. It's like images like that, just like the Sonic the Sonic fandom just love those images. That's like, that's like something like that. That I would say, safe to say, that is that expression from Shadow we will never see in a game. Just that look like I'm gonna kill this small child if she, if she doesn't get away from me. Yeah, it's fun, you know. I generally, I generally always try to do a lot of you know facial expression when I do any character. So it's just something I, I've always tried to put into there. And I have also read a lot of people uh, here and there on message boards or whatever saying that I do too much. So maybe sometimes I try to scale it back, maybe a little bit. But uh, you know. Uh, I think you know. I I I enjoy it. I, I I try to infuse my characters with as much character as I can. Hmm. Well, again, you know, I I enjoy because that's something like I remember um, watching the cutscenes for like Sonic Lost World that came out, and like the the graphics are fine on it, but there's not much. There's not, not a lot of expressions on their faces. Like Sonic's expressions tend to just like his eyelids were just kind of slightly closed if he's looking a bit sad. But like, there's, there's not like a real range of, of emotion that those that those character models. Egg, Eggman kind of does. Eggman always kind of looks expressive, but like Sonic and Tails tend to not really. I mean, again, the the extent of their emotions is only just where the eyelid is placed. So I like the fact that in the comic book, like you guys just you know have a range of emotion. I, I would imagine obviously it's easier because you can draw them in any in any pose, and the uh, the CG models are just kind of like dictated by how both well the models are built. But I actually kind of like the fact that in the uh, in the series, just that you know, they they do actually emote, which is always good for a cartoon character. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I I want to quickly uh, touch upon this. I, mean, I know it just is a topic that a lot of you, a lot of people who actually probably don't want to talk about. And if you can't say anything, I can just edit this part out. But if you can, how has the or the issues with Ken Penders affected your work on the book? Well, that whole situation hasn't really affected my work particularly, except that, uh, yeah, it's just given me new different things to draw. So <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much it for me. It is, you know, the only thing I'll say about it is that it's, it is unfortunate that, you know, a lot of the world building that Ian did is now gone. You know, But on the other hand, we get to do and, and see new things. So I think there's a lot of potential for new and fun stories. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I just kind of just viewed the uh, post-Worlds Collide reboot as just kind of like, you know, the Archie version of New 52, kind yeah. of. <laughs> In a lot of ways, things worked out pretty well because of that. The Mega Man story worked, you know, really great to uh, usher in a new, uh, it was a, it was a, you know, a sensible and uh, storyline that, you know, had a good reason for a reboot to happen. So everything worked out pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's another another point that I uh, kind of worked out with the pirate story that I did. You know, I was initially all along had the idea that um, Metal Sonic would have a copy, a lot of Eggman's files in there, and would have the plans for the new Death Egg stored in his memory, and that whenever he ended up in Blaze's world, he would decide to build his own Death Egg with a Metal Sonic theme to it. Uh, but then, before I ever got around to actually writing the story, the Mega Man arc started up, and we I find out that there's a Wily egg in that story. So I thought, you know, that's it's kind of a lot of death eggs flying around. <laughs> I certainly don't have to do that in my story as well. But then it, the the timing of it worked out perfectly for everything to be thrown all out of whack, and for the Wily egg to end up in Blaze's dimension. Uh, so again, also Amy and Cream. Um, that was uh, Paul Kaminsky's idea to have them show up in the story, and so it, it would be kind of a pseudo sequel to the Treasure Team Tangle thing. So I had mm. to put them in there, and I was, I was really having a lot of trouble figuring out how or why they would end up there. But again, the Mega Man story—they uh, they were thrown there along with the Death Egg, um, and uh, of course. Again, also, you know, you'll see in the story that I, I remember from one of the games it mentions that the Chaos Emeralds have their own, or is it the, yeah, the Soul Emeralds have a will of their own. So mm. they knew that, you know, they, they knew something was going on. They knew Blaze would need help. So all these things were getting thrown around through the multiverse and they got pulled to Blaze's dimension. So they'd be there to help her. So well, <laughs> kind of a stretch, I guess, but you know, <laughs> I, made, I tried to make things work as best I could. Well, I'm glad because it gave us that amazing panel where you have, um, after, thing, after Blaze gets kidnapped and Marine's just kind of spouting on, just have kind of Amy grab her by the neck and just say, Marine, just stop talking, <laughs> which is like what every fan wants to, to every fan politely Wants to word that phrase into to Marine because um yes yeah I, I, well I I think Ian has made it known that he does not like Marine but I I, I personally <laughs> love Marine I thought she was a, a real pleasure to write her ridiculous dialogue I spent a lot of time researching Australian slang and trying to get it as close to you know uh, authentic as I could <laughs> without knowing it exactly. <laughs> 
throwing in as much of it as I could. Uh, so yeah, that's another that's another to digress a little. That's another criticism I think somebody had was that Blaze gets kidnapped or knocked out twice in that arc. And it's a shortcoming of my own that I couldn't think of anything better to do uh, with the ending because initially I had Amy and Cream not really um, not really doing anything at the climax of the story, and uh, it's basically just Blaze versus Captain Metal. And I I think that that aspect of the fight probably was a little better initially. It was just Blaze versus Captain Metal. It was more of a you know a sword fight sort of action sequence. But then Amy, Amy and Cream wouldn't have been there, and they really kind of wouldn't have had much reason to be there at all. Uh, so I, um, I rewrote it so that they would need a reason to, you know, go up there and help her out. So uh, mm. it was kind of crunched for time, and I couldn't think of anything better. So that's, I just had her get knocked out and kidnapped again. <laughs> so <laughs> Captain Meadow could try to you know, yank the uh, Saul Emeralds out of her. But uh, yeah, yeah, again, that's that's just the way it goes, though. You know, there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different stuff to try to fit into these stories. It's not like coming up with uh, your own original idea. You gotta work in ideas from various sources and make it all fit together. So it's it's fun. It's 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 a challenge and it's an interesting process. And I hope that it's entertaining and <laughs> you know a fun product in the end. So yeah, because I I greatly enjoyed. And I can never remember the word in it. Is it pirate plunder panic? Yes, pirate plunder panic. panic. Yeah, because I, I always mix those up, like panic plunder pirate. Would <laughs> well, yeah, again, obviously a play on the treasure team tango. Mm. So we tried to think of some other titles, but that was really the best one we'd come up with. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so when you go about doing doing a page layout for, say, say the Sonics um, book, is there like a... Like how how would best how would you best describe how you kind of like so you have Ian's script and Ian kind of lays out like panel one this happens panel two this happens do you yeah. just kind of just look at it and then just like draw while you're looking at the script or do you just kind of like let it sink in for a bit and then start drawing out? Well, I, you know, I'll read through the script and yes, as you say, it's broken down into you know page one, panel one, description of what happens in the panel, and then there's dialogue and or sound effects if they're in the panel. So, you know, I'll read that. Let's say there's five panels on a page. So I'll read through it, and I'll think about... And this doesn't take a lot of time, or, you know, it's not something I make a lot of. It's sort of half-conscious, half-intuitive, you know. And uh, I think about well, what's the most important image on the page, and I usually try to want to make that the biggest panel, or sometimes it'll indicate in the script, say, big panel, you know. This is <laughs> you know, the big payoff of the page or whatever, so I'll have to make sure that I leave room for it. And, you know, I'll, I'll usually have my script right there and I'll take a pencil and I'll make a thumbnail sketch on the page of the script next to where I'm reading. And I'll just kind of work it out, you know, the basic, real, super sketchy lines and of the shapes of the panels and what's happening in them. Just a little sketch for me to re- look back at and remember. And I'll even draw in where I want sort of the word balloons to be because that's another that's something that a lot of people don't think about. Um you know, if I want to say amateur, you know, people that are just learning the, the craft of uh, comic book storytelling is they don't usually leave a lot of room for word balloons. And if you don't do that, then you're going to eventually have to cover up something important with a word balloon. Mm. Plus, the word balloons are also physically, you know, 
physically, visually help the reader move through the page if you place them in the right way. That's something I try to do when I can, you know. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll make my thumbnail and I'll sketch it out and I'll and I'll go to the the big the page uh, and I'll do a really loose, really light sketch, you know, layout. I'll block out those panels and I'll start drawing the shapes of the characters and the indication of the background. And uh, actually, usually what I'll do before that even is I'll actually physically write in the the dialogue and you know circle it with a blue pencil. And then I'll erase the words. That way I'll say, there's the space for the, the word balloon. Don't put anything important back there. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll fit the, you know, everything else around the word balloons. <clears throat> and then when I get the whole layout the way I want it to, I, uh, I'll go back and as I draw the panels, you know, I, I'll get my straight edge and do my, you know, the panel borders or, uh, you know, sometimes I use a compass if I have a circular panel or whatever. And uh, I'll block those out and I'll, I'll start doing the final pencils on top of my roughs and I'll, I'll just erase the, the rough sketch as I go and do the final drawing. That's my method. It's certainly not the only way of doing things. I know a lot of people, sometimes they use the blue line pencils and do all that and just leave that blue line there. But I think Ben Bates, I'm not really sure entirely, but from what I've seen, I think he does a lot of his layouts and, and everything on the computer. So there's, you know, there's various ways of doing things, but that's my method. I you know, do a thumbnail drawing and then I do a loose layout sketch and then I'll go and do the final pencils on top of that. Oh, so I've gone off of that. So, when, once you've, have you ever had a, um, a time when you've done the kind of thumbnail and you've done the loose, maybe even done the the final pencils, where you kind of looked at a page, and either you've decided or maybe someone from the editorial team has decided that something has to be changed. So, have you ever, have you ever ended up redoing layouts on a story? Not very often, because I usually take my time and think about it. If something's not working as I'm drawing, and I'll, I'll be perfectly happy to change it while I'm doing it. You know, I'll. A lot, a lot of a lot of times, my final page will look quite a bit different from my thumbnail. I think is, is when you go from that tiny little drawing and then you scale it up to that big page. You you know you realize that you have more room, or more often you have less room than you thought you did, and so you got to kind of change things or change the, you know, zoom in on characters a little more or zoom out or you know whatever. So yeah, I'll you know I'll that's why I do the loose the loose sketch beforehand so I can kind of play with the sizes of things and the placement of things. And then once I have that, then I can, you know, I don't have to think so hard about doing the final drawing. I can, you know, I work all that stuff out as I do the layout. As far as redoing a page entirely, that's only happened, I think, maybe two times, two or three that I can, that I can recall. It's pretty unusual for me to scrap a whole page. And that's, you know, uh, there's only a couple times I've ever done that. Okay, I'm um, going off from that. So when when because there've been a handful of issues where you end up just doing the uh, page layouts, and another artist will actually do the pencils. How much collaboration is there between you and the and the penciler when like a, a situation like that occurs? I believe I believe a few issues of Genesis was, was like that where you did layouts and then someone else did the pencils. Well, that was the opposite, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. That okay. was, um, <laughs> that's a funny story. I'll tell real quick, and then I'll get back to the other question. There was that Spaz was initially set to do all the uh lay well he did he did do all uh, no no I'm sorry. He did the layouts for the first two issues of that and he was gonna do the layouts for all four. And then I would do the finished pencils on top. But it's really strange. It's good. his if you if you could have seen them, if you get the gra the uh the graphic novel collection of that, you'll oh, see some examples in the back. 
You'll see the examples in the back where it shows Spaz's roughs, if you could call it that. They were so clean. And apparently, what, what also astounds me is that apparently he did those rough ones on like a smaller, like an eight and a half by 11 page, if, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I, I seem to recall Paul telling me. So he's got all these incredibly detailed pa- panels and pages that he did on about half the size that I would normally work at. So, um, yeah, I took those those roughs they were so clean really i a lot of the times what i would actually scale back some of the detail because it was a little too much i thought so <laughs> uh you know i would scale it back and yeah really like there was it's kind of it's kind of strange and kind of funny for me to do that you know there's i don't i don't see why spaz couldn't have just done the the finished pencil i'm glad that i got to work on it certainly i've it was a pleasure, and it was very fun. And of course, I got you know the second two issues of that four issue arc. I did straight from scratch myself. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, that was certainly a, that was a definitely an interesting uh, exercise to work on top of his rough pencils. <clears throat> but then when I do it uh, with um, Lamar Wells, or back when I did it for uh, Matt Herms years ago. What I'll basically do, and I recently did an issue for um, Evan Stanley to help speed it up for her and, you know, help her just a little bit with some panel layout, I think. But because uh, I, Evan Stanley, I think, if you go on record, is a fantastic cartoonist, and her work on Sonic looks marvelous. And I hope that she continues to work on the book because mm. I think it's much better for her for it to have her on there. Uh, when I see the work like hers and Ben Bates, I think, boy, I'm not as good as I, <laughs> I could be. You know, I really need to work harder. But um, yeah, I, I'll do basically what I just uh, described. Is I'll you know I'll work out the thumbnail on the script and then I'll do my layout drawing, but then I'll leave it at that. I won't go to the final pencils, of course. I'll just leave some really sketchy, loose drawings there for them to go on top of. So basically, stick figures and then uh, you know an indication of the background or. If, if I have a little more complicated uh, perspective drawing, or if I want, if I'm thinking there's something very specific that should happen, you know, I'll, I'll go a little bit more detailed with it. But I'm not, you know, it's not a, certainly not a finished drawing by any means. I just leave an indication there and and the basic layout of the panels, and then they take it from there. Okay, no, is that is that is that purely done for a time reason? So, so like the penciler doesn't have time to do layout, so they'll just get someone little, else quickly to do it. A little bit of both. In every, in most indicate, in most cases, like with Matt Herms and uh, Lamar Wells, they had not had a lot of comic book storytelling experience. You know, they had done didn't have a lot of pages under their belt, and uh, like they knew how to draw the characters perfectly well, but comic book storytelling is sort of a it's a strange mindset strange art that not everybody intuitively understands you know what happens in between the panels is just as important as what you're seeing in the panel and you really have to know you know the right moment to choose like if you're you're taking moments out of a a film or whatever you'd have to choose the right shots Hmm. to, uh, to get your message across to the reader what they're seeing you know because you can't, when you have an action sequence on film or in an animation, you can do whatever you want. There's no limit because you can take, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time to describe something happening when it's in motion. But when you're, you know, you're describing Sonic running up a wall, jumping off, kicking some robot in the face, and then falling down, you know, doing whatever, you know, you got to pick the right camera angle and the right moment in time to make it clear that that is what has happened. 
you know, you have to, sometimes you have to employ those motion lines and things like that to make it obvious that some, you know, that he has run up the wall and then he has jumped off the wall. Now he's in midair kicking. So, <clears throat> and then panel layout, you know, there are books like, um, you know, uh, Watchmen or, you know, various other books like that, where it's just a strict nine panel grid the whole mm, time. Yeah. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. However, you know, I mean, it does get, it can get boring, I suppose, or it is also limiting uh, if you want to have, you know, some larger shots. And it's, you know, it's hard, you know, you've got that space limitation to try to cram things into if you're running on a strict grid like that. So when I, you know, uh, when I first started doing Sonic, I was a lot more static with my panels. They would be rectangles and squares and more grid-like. But then, you know, I tried to, uh, you know, break out of that mold, and I did a lot more, you know, trapezoidal, various different shapes and circles and things, and, and you know, they all overlap, and characters are breaking out of the panel and overlapping into other panels and stuff a lot, you know. I, I enjoy that. I think it's a lot more fun to do it that way. It works really well for Sonic the Hedgehog or an, a book like this because it's in-your-face action with cartoon characters, and it's all fun and, you know, larger than life and stuff like that. It wouldn't work for every sort of story that you're going to tell. Comic most can tell any kind of story you want to tell. If you're doing a story about two people in a diner eating apple pie and talking, you're not going to have a bunch of big, crazy-looking panels of stuff, you know, <laughs> breaking out and you know, foreshortened shots of you know, action stuff. Also, yeah, it depends on what you're doing, and that's you know, it's something that takes time to learn and takes time to um, to really internalize that you can do it without thinking too hard about it. So yes. In answer to the question, it's partly due to time constraints. You know, I did it to help these uh, newcomers, uh, like Lamar Wells, you know, give him an example of what could be done. Not necessarily what should be, but that's what I do. Uh, so that he could have that to work off of. And it also helped, you know, time. So it was instructive and it was time saving. Nice. Uh, going, off, going off from that, then, in your opinion, I mean, I know you kind of. Um... The, the, the second half of that kind of talked a bit about this, but like in your opinion, then what would make a good comic page? And then I guess more to the point, what makes, in your opinion, what makes good Sonic? What what makes a good Sonic comic page? Well, it depends on what's happening on the page, but in general, it's, like I just said, though, yeah, it's mm. uh, yeah, a lot of um, you know trying to trying to have uh, you know large. Like if you know, most most pages have some sort of action on them. So you know, yeah. Like I personally like to see a lot of you know for foreshortened shots where like somebody's hand is kind of coming out at you. You know, or I like to I like to break up the panels where they like people are like their foot or something is breaking out of the panel border and overlapping into another panel. That's another thing that it's another method that you can use to help visually push a reader through the page. You know, if if somebody's hand or foot is is you know is actually literally breaking into another panel you're either subconsciously or even consciously going to look at that and it's going to lead you directly to that next panel that you're supposed to be reading so it's one it's one method of, of helping the reader along and you're kind of unifying the page <clears throat> but uh, you know yeah i mean you're trying to keep you know at least one nice good close-up shot on every page and trying to get a good establishing shot on every page of the background is generally you know, preferable. <laughs> so it's hard to say what 
there's no one good there's no one thing that makes a perfect comic page it depends on what's happening in the story hmm. um going going off for that a little bit who would you say is your favorite and least favorite character to draw i don't know i mean in general my favorite is usually sonic because he's almost always doing something fun and crazy uh least favorite i don't know might be sally because she's always her face is difficult for whatever reason to get right it, it always is and people are always scrutinizing how everybody draws sally anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know, rotor has always been kind of difficult to get his body type just right and stuff like that um a lot of the, a lot of the characters have a lot of detail like tails his hair and his face is kind of hard sometimes shadows shoes are always difficult uh, knuckles <laughs> i hate those little lego blocks on <laughs> dr eggman has a lot of doodads on his outfit you know so those are all things you got to try to keep just right so you know it's, i think the the character the sonic characters look simple but they're really not always very simple and yeah. for that reason because they look so simple and geometric and stuff if you make a mistake it's really very obvious you know, so that's the, you know, when you when you're drawing a character um, that has you know like you know slightly more realistic human anatomy or whatever, there are ways to to fudge it or get around it, you know, or uh, take little shortcuts that people won't notice. But when you're drawing a character that's very you know uh, simple, like Sonic the Hedgehog or Mickey Mouse or whatever, if you don't get things just right, it's it's obvious. Maybe the reader might not be able to put their finger on it, but they'll see it and they'll know something's not quite right there. Mm. Which leading off from that, I would say which issue or arc of art, again, are you most and say, would you say least proud of? Um, I'm probably one of my very favorites, which uh, showed up in the, I think in the best of Sonic collection was the uh, really early on. It was the uh, order from chaos story. Mm. I really enjoyed that. You know, it's probably maybe not my best art, I guess, but I think it's really where I really hit my stride with the book. And I think I was doing a lot of things back then that I, I kind of don't do anymore, but maybe I should probably go back to, I don't know. Uh, I've, I try to keep things very on model, as they say, you know, I try to keep things very Sega styled now. And I, I tried that. I, I purposely did that even in the beginning and with the Order from Chaos arc, but I still had a little bit more of the American-style cartoon flair to the way I drew at that point. And I tried to you know, put a lot of detail in the, like, you know, the machines and a lot more spot blacks, you know, shadows and things on the metal objects and stuff. And I think overall, I think that story is one of my favorites. It's one of, you know, it's one of, I think the art is the best, some of the best that I've done, some of the most fun anyway. As far as one I'm not proud of, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's probably a lot that I would look back and say that's not very good, so I, I couldn't tell you which one I'll fan. Oh, that's okay. No, you said earlier that you had done most of the work on uh, Sonic Universe, and so, you know, as you said, Sonic Universe is primarily your art, while the main work, as you said, has kind of been switching artists a bit. So how did how did Universe kind of become your main book as opposed to staying with the, with the main one? Well, you know, I don't know exactly. I mean, I... I do think that in a lot of ways, Mike Pellerito uh, built that Sonic Universe book for me to do, which is, I don't know that 100%, but I'm, I'm, I think that's the case, and I'm very flattered and honored by that. I think it was just an opportunity, though, for them to, they had a new book. Sonic was popular, but Sonic X was kind of, you know, being phased out on TV. 
they wanted to keep things a little more current without having to worry about that sort of continuity that came along with Sonic X. And there was room in their roster for another book. So, you know, there was an opportunity for them to come, you know, start something from scratch with a consistent art style all the way through. So mm. it made more sense for me to stick on that and, you know, keep with it rather than, you know, have two books that they rotated people around on. Now, obviously, yeah, I've, I've done some issues of Sonic the Hedgehog since then, but not, not terribly many. So, <clears throat> you know, and the only reason I didn't do those eight issues of Sonic Universe was also, yeah, basically because of time constraints. I was, I had, uh, you know, I was doing those, I was writing the stories, which doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. But when you put that on top of, uh, you know, keeping up with the other Sonic Universe issues that I was working on, and then also maybe doing some fill-in on uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Because when I was doing the Babylon Rising story, I was just finishing up that, uh, yeah, Genesis arc. And also doing, the, you know, Sonic Universe all at the same time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it was quite a lot of stuff going all at once. So, yeah, I, I had to let somebody else take on the next arc after that. And same thing with Pirate Plunder Panic. I might have been able to do the Shadow arc, maybe. But I really would have put everybody in a pinch that came after me, the inkers and everybody. They would have had to hustle too much, and I, I didn't want to do that. So I, uh, you know, I said that you know they need to get somebody else to to do that, the artwork on that arc, and I'll move ahead with the next one. So, um, one of one of my favorite pieces of art you've ever been associated with was, um, and also the first time I met you was at uh, Summer of Sonic 2011. Uh-huh. Where um, there's this amazing, and I'm looking at it right now. It's right. I hang. I've, I hung it right in front of my PC. It's the um, Sonic the Comic versus versus Archie Sonic picture that huh. you drew with Nigel Dobbin. Indeed, yes. So how did how did that come about, and how how what was it like working with, with uh, Nigel? Uh, well, you know, I didn't work too awful closely with him. We wrote some emails and uh, discussed things. Uh, I think the idea was put forth by the fellows that uh, you know ran that show and. Um, I'm sure that I've thanked them before, but I can never thank them enough for inviting me to that show. It was really wonderful, a great experience, and I, you know, I'd like to be able to do it sometime in the future again, maybe. But uh, yeah, that was that was really fantastic, and I thank them a lot for all the work they did putting that together and having me over there. Uh, but the uh, the show, uh, the the artwork that I did with Nigel was it was really cool. I think the system that we did I initially I did as uh, yeah, again like a really loose drawing of all the characters fighting each other um, you know I talked about you know Nigel uh, with it what he wanted to do and um, you know, I did I did the loose sketches of all the characters and I filled in mine in uh, pencil the uh, the Archie characters I filled you know I did them nice and clean and, and finished in pencil and then I mailed you know I mailed the physical artwork over to Nigel and he did the uh, Everything else, he did all the pencils, inks, and colors on the the, uh, the British cast, and the, they colored the whole thing and all. It, yeah, it turned out really, really well. And I as a I enjoy those kinds of sorts of unique uh, art projects like that that don't come along very often. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I just I just like look at it because just looking how the different design choice. Because I mean, I'm looking at Knuckles, and of course, in in the games and in Archie, the kind of white crescent thing on knuckles is a part of its body but SEC has that like it's, it's like some kind of necklace yeah thing which and I, i'm just looking at, looking at it now and i just and also one thing that strikes me is that all of the um the characters shoes are just kind of flat white but i, I like what kind of like how what jim lee did with the batman boot you kind of you were the one who kind of introduced you kind of 
the traction on, on Sonic sneakers, uh-huh. which I always like shots of that. Whenever whenever he's kicking someone or whenever you can see his feet, I always love the amount of detail that uh, you put into Sonic's shoes. I don't know why, it just makes it feel like... Because <laughs> a character like Sonic would need something like that on his shoes. If it was just, just a flat surface, he wouldn't get any traction. Or like, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be hard for him to run, you know? That's kind of the energy. Yeah, that's basically the main reason why I started doing that. Well, two reasons. One, I thought it made sense that he would have a lot of traction on the bottom of his shoes. And two, it was kind of my way of adding my little flair to Sonic. Although, I really, I, I don't do that anymore. I think, I think basically, certainly at the reboot, and then maybe even a little bit before, you know, we trying to keep things, you know, more lined up with Sega's mm. models of things. So I just kind of ditched that uh, thing. It's also not not that I mind, but it is kind of it's kind of a pain sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't want they don't you know they want things to be Sega, so I'll just I'll just drop that. Oh yeah, make it's faster and it's easier and yeah. you know. But while while it was there, it looked amazing, Tracy. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I do, <laughs> I do like it. I, I I thought it was fun. Now moving on, um, I want to quickly touch upon one of my favorite arcs of any comic ever and actually the the reason why I, I am now a monthly comic collector is of course worlds collide now your arc in particular uh volume two which it's, it's been released just now and i'm holding it in my hands the uh trade paperback of worlds collide volume two into the war uh-huh. into the war zone which had the four um, issues by you now um what was it like was that something yeah. you'd been been look, looking forward to i mean i know in the in the afterwards that there's a section of you where you say that you had um it's something like you weren't that good at the Mega Man game, so you never really played them. <laughs> no, <laughs> which, which Ian is when, when I spoke to Ian, he said he's he's terrible at them as well. So it must be something that everyone at Archie must be terrible at Mega Man or something. I just think I just think they're really hard games. That's all. I'm not I'm, I'm not are. the best action platformer gamer ever. So those those ones are really tough. <laughs> they, they are. Um, but so was that was that something you were you were looking uh, forward to? And um, before Watchcard, had you ever been offered to draw Mega Man? No, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I, I had done some commission type drawings, you know, where people would ask me to draw Mega Man. I'd done it a few times, but yeah, I really had not drawn him very much at all. And I think that's pretty evident in the uh, the first of those four issues, where he's he doesn't quite look right. He's a little too skinny, uh, you know. But it, it just took time to get used to drawing him. Um, I was certainly, yeah, I'm certainly, uh, I'm glad that I got to do that. I. Uh, I wouldn't mind drawing a Mega Man issue or an arc or something. I don't really have the time, and that seems like that side of things is already, you know, sewn up with other artists and things, and that's fine. Uh, you know, it was it was like I said earlier, it was fun to get the design of that machine for the some uh, an upcoming story, and uh, it was also I got to design not all but some of those uh, the roboticized masters yes and they were fun that was really a lot of fun to try to come up with designs for the sonic characters in the vein of mm. and villains it was a lot of fun to do i mean i'll, I'll be honest when i first because i think one of the first teaser images they released was the um i think it's the last page of the maybe the first issue where proto man runs into like tails man rose woman shadow man knuckles man and a part of me was just like that's so stupid. But at the same time, I was like, about the, about the same time, I was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was like, it was like stupid and amazing at, at the same time. So going off, um, one of my favorite images from any of the uh, Mega Man issues, I think it, it's in your the first issue of your arc, which where um, Proto Man takes down 
mega water s Pokemon just has this look on his face where like he just he, he got a, a lot of the fact that you have um mega water s running away Pokemon just shoots him in the back and he has just look he has just look at his face like you are so beneath me and then he just kind of slowly walks away while like his his broken corpse is on the floor like kind of like exploded it's like i don't know why but just i had that image whenever i think of proto man now that i i go to that image that you drew of just proto man just shooting him with like this blank expression and then walking away like it's nothing yeah and i, I think that, if i remember correctly that was written into the script that way too like ian is like you know pro man knows that he's no threat so he just offhandedly takes him down you know so yeah, that's. Uh, I think Ian, I, Ian and I are in sync a lot of times, and what what things you know should look like. So yeah, happen, what happens again? There's kind of a similar thing where um, and again in your arc where you have Shadow destroy Shadow Man, and um, like it's this great image of just Shadow just basically just running through Shadow Man with the uh, his caption. He just he's just kind of screaming the word vengeance. And again, like he just has this word on it, Shadow's expression. Again, it just looks like he's just Shadow Man's just like just scum. And then like, <laughs> Shadow, Shadow just plows through him. I just, <laughs> but I, I love that. So, 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 would you would you kind of start, so? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I've lost track of what well, I was. I was just okay. I was just geeking out there for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, I have to, I have to stop having the books in front of me. Because I'll just, I'll just start flicking through and looking at your art. Um, <laughs> let me move on from that. So, Worlds Collide was done over three books in 12 consecutive issues. So, it was li- it was literally like you, you would get three parts of that story a month. And so, because um, they were broken down into the first four issues, second four issues, and third four, was it was it more of a time restraint having to draw kind of essentially four books in four weeks like that, that, that would come out in like the four separate weeks? Was that, uh, was that harder than just say four regular issues of a single book? I don't think it was too much harder. I think overall in general, yeah, I think it was a little tighter schedule than normal just like because they had to keep things coming out at a pace. Um, but Paul Kaminsky did a lot of work ahead of time to make sure all that stuff lined up. And yes, we did get a little behind schedule. But not so much so that it obviously ruined things. I you know, and be, you know, because of the way the story was broken up across the three books, you know, it gave everybody time to get things done. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't too awfully difficult. Not not too much more than normal. Was there was there ever talk of of one person doing all twelve, or was it always meant to be one artist per arc? I don't know. I I think that it was probably almost always certainly supposed to be broken up. I think there was different. I think there were different allocations to begin with, but due to scheduling and things like that, yeah, I think it ended up getting shuffled around a bit. Uh, you know, and yeah, as an aside, that is, I did actually get to draw one issue of Mega Man because uh, in that in that arc. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so the issue of Mega Man I've done. <laughs> Um, going on from this, so obviously you've drawn mostly Sonic and your one issue of Mega Man and also some of your, your kind of personal projects. Is there another comic or character out there, maybe from Marvel or DC, that you kind of like, you know, is there maybe you have a Batman you'd like to draw, like a Spider-Man issue? Well, it's funny you should mention those two. Of, of, of all the mainstream Marvel or DC type books, those are probably the two I'd prefer to take a crack at, mm. Batman or Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man would fit me pretty good, you know, because of the, you know, the more lighthearted tone that he himself usually has. Well, Batman would be fun. You know, my art style would probably work pretty well if, you know, I don't know if they still do any uh, more animated 
like Batman animated type of books or not? Uh, the, they, 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 they currently have one based on the Beware the Batman uh-huh. cartoon, but that cartoon was cancelled, so I doubt that comic will last not much longer. Yeah, that's fine, you know, but, uh, you know, back when I was in college, you know, they, yeah, they had like the, uh, you know, the Adventures of Batman and Robin style artwork. Yep, I remember yeah, that. Was, and I, I, think I'd, I think I'd be able to do that pretty well. I think it'd be fun and different. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, there's... I, I wouldn't mind doing various projects for, you know, uh, other licensed type characters. Somebody else asked me this before. I, you know, like Darkwing Duck was one of my favorite characters. And they had, <laughs> Boom Studios had a book of that for a while, but I guess that was canceled because of the Marvel Disney merger thing. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, there's Inspector Gadget is another character I'd always like to do. I'd like <laughs> to do a book about. Maybe, you know, I'd like to actually write that, too, and have him a little less bungling, you know. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, but that would kind of... I know, Yeah, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I think maybe a, a competent inspector... I mean, I guess that's kind of what they tried to do in the um, live-action movie, and why that... One of the reasons why I think that is just a... A big, a big failure based on the cartoon. But, you know, it could... Anything, you know, anything is... But so just as a... Um, Aside, I'll probably edit this out, but a friend of mine was at a recent Comic-Con, and th- th- apparently Marvel are going to be starting a new Darkwing Duck and DuckTales book uh-huh. in the very near future, so maybe you could uh, maybe you could finally get to draw DW. In there. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe that'd be great, but I'm, I'm busy enough with things as it is, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah, actually, here's another, another as a side idea in terms of other things, I actually am beginning to work um, you can you can look it up. There's not a lot of internet presence for it yet. I'll uh, I'll try to post some images on my DeviantArt page. Uh, you know, Yardley at DeviantArt. Uh, a fellow that I've met a few years ago. He published self publishes his own books called Galaxy Man. It's a superhero type story, and um, he's been you know doing that for some years on his own and with various creative you know artists. Uh, and I just recently, I'm going to I'm going to do at least one issue of that, and you know perhaps do more. It's not a paying gig exactly, you know, that doesn't have a publisher. But he's looking into that, and I think it has a lot of potential. And I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see it become a success for his sake. And I think it'd be something fun, different for me to do. Nice. Uh, the, the book is going to be retitled now: The Adventures of Galaxy Man and Cosmic Girl. It's more of a lighthearted, all ages <laughs> type uh, superhero book. And I think the real the real great spin on the characters is there. Uh, there's only the two superheroes in the entire world. It's this astronomer and his daughter, and their superhero their powers come from a, a, a meteor or comet, you know, that's crashed and given them these powers. And what's interesting is that their power is that they can do whatever they believe they can do. So the Galaxy Man, when he realizes that he has gotten superpowers, he equates that with what he has read in comic books and that's why he can fly and his super super strength and things like that that's that's the limit of his uh, his ingenuity and imagination about his powers and so that's what he <laughs> do. and cosmic girl his daughter um is his sidekick and she sees him and sees what he can do and she thinks to herself i can never do that so her own limitations you know are, is what is holding her back from being as powerful or more powerful than Galaxy Man. Because she can't fly because she doesn't think she could actually do it. 
but she does have super strength. And uh, the most interesting and strange power that she has is that she doesn't look like her herself to her father because she knows that her father would never let her be a superhero. <laughs> so she projects a different image to him, so he doesn't he doesn't realize that it's her. <laughs> I think that's a really clever and different. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I have to say when you were when you were explain the story probably was like why would why would this father let her do, let his daughter fight yeah. crime river what irresponsible parent but that's exactly. actually that actually i have to that actually sounds incredibly original i have to check that out when it when it yes, comes out yeah so yeah i'm, I'm uh, actually i'm gonna be i guess i'm gonna be writing the script for the issue zero there's already four issues that he's produced some years ago you know the last few years but i'm gonna do uh i have some uh i have to apologize that i can't recall his name right off my off my head sean Aston, I think it is, uh, wrote the um, the uh, the outline, the story outline, and then I'll I'll, I'll I'm going to write down a script based on that, and then I'll do the pencils and maybe the inks too, also for the first uh, issue number zero, kind of a sort of soft reboot for the thing. So. Nice. That wouldn't be the the same Sean Aston who was in Lord of the Rings, would it? No, no, <laughs> no that, not, maybe that's not the right name. I I, I cannot quite remember. So okay, <laughs> I, I haven't met or spoken with him yet, so. Um, but you know, um, there's a companion book to that also called the hero cats of stellar city, which is the city in which they inhabit stellar city. These hero cats don't really have superpowers, but they are, they're cats that go around doing superheroic things, you know, without humans noticing. So, (laughs) (laughs) so they've got a lot of very positive fan response at conventions, particularly with the hero cats, because who doesn't like cats? I mean, you know, (laughs) well, the internet loves cats, so it's the best place to market it. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I you know I have a lot of you know hope that there's a lot of potential for it. I th- I would like for people to, you know, hopefully they'll enjoy what we do. Right, so yeah, well, so I'll... between between that and the Sonic and uh, you know, it's theoretically possible that if the Indiegogo fundraiser makes enough money, I might you know, be paid to do a third volume of Riding Shotgun, which I don't necessarily. I'm not doing it for the money per se, but I have mm-hmm. to. Oh yeah, you know. So exactly. I need to make roughly the equivalent of what I would be doing for Sonic to put it out in a timely fashion. You know, I could just put Sonic aside for the most part for a few months. That would be my plan to you know to try to try to do a little bit on Sonic to keep things up. Uh, but there's you know Jamal Peppers and and Evan Stanley and, and theoretically Ben Bates or Stephen um, mm. Butler who could fill in while I'm away. Uh, but if if I don't get paid to do that, then I will more than likely try to do it on my own. As I said, I think earlier, maybe just do a page a week and get it out when it gets done, you know, mm. as long as it takes. Well, because it's really, I think it's a good story. I think it's uh, there's a lot there. And I think it'd be great for the story to have an ending since Tokyo Pop is unable to publish a third volume. Uh, just outright anyway, you know. It, uh, so, I, you know, it's a, it's really... It's a big, uh, a big, a big deal to my uh, my friend Nate Bowden, who wrote the story, and um, so you know I'd like to see it come to an end eventually. <laughs> <laughs> which, which going off from that, I have um, a question about writing writing shotguns. Obviously, as you said, it's kind of a lot more kind of kind of mature than yes. say than the, the, the Sonic book. So, so when you were kind of going back and forth between Sonic and writing shotgun obviously do you have to kind of like change your mindset of how i tell this story when the sonic I mean, the sonic comic gets 
you know, there's there's action and punching, but I would say there's nothing, never anything like graphic or too violent in it because it's still you know based on a children's franchise. So when you have to go from that to like people are actually getting, you know, gravely injured, like how do you how do you kind of how do you kind of switch your your mind around in that? When um, I don't know. I don't think it. I don't think it takes a big yeah a big shift in mindset. Really, more of just the uh, like the visual style. Sonic is more cartoony and you know cartoon animals and stuff. Riding shotgun has stylized but still you know mostly human characters and uh you know realistic backgrounds buildings cars and things like that so that takes that's that's really more of what i need to focus on when i'm doing that sort of thing trying not to let riding shotgun fall into too cartoony uh style it's really easy to shift back to cartoons when you're trying to do something more realistic uh so yeah, that's the that's the main concern. And yes, as you said, uh, for the listeners out there, if you check out Riding Shotgun, it's not for children. It's <laughs> it's not horribly, you know, graphic. There's you know, blood and gore. There's strong you know, uh, language, cursing, and stuff like that. You know, some sexual innuendo, but it's really not that you know that in your face. Mostly the violence, and that's kind of the point of the story, though. It's a story about gun violence taken to you know insane extremes. So, um, yeah, just be warned if you, if you check it out. I think it's a story worth reading, but it is not for children. <laughs> um, going up, and I, and I believe you brought it up earlier, but Rodden Shotgun was made into a motion comic. So what was it like for you to hear the, uh, the things you draw, that kind of partially, I guess, move? Like, was it, like how was it for you to see that? <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never at the time seen that. I think that came out you know, 2006 or seven, I think right after the first issue was out. So it was really cool to see that. And, uh, it was really neat. You know, they, a lot of, you know, really great production went into that. I was very pleased with it. Particularly like the music and all they had that, uh, music by the far East movement who like, at the time really wasn't a big deal, but then just, uh, like a year or so later, they were on the top 40 charts and all. So that was pretty cool. I kind of think that was a missed opportunity for marketing on Tokyo pops part. They could have been, Hey, you know, the top 40 band far east movement check out the writing you know the book that they did the soundtrack to mm. but uh marketing didn't seem to be their big uh area of expertise yeah. <laughs> um so i guess i have i have we have a, a couple of fan questions after this uh tracy but i guess the, sure. the kind of end off the the main portion of the que- of these questions that would say what would you say the future has in store for Tracy Yardlin and 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 your work on the on the Sonic franchise. Uh, yeah, just uh, more of the same. You know, I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm actually right now I'm about to start doing the third part of the Waves of Change story arc on Sonic the U- Sonic Universe. Uh, I'm going to be finishing up the uh, Chaos Caper story. I have two more issues to finish on that. Um, really, that's. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to, I can't uh, spill what comes after that arc, but I'll be doing the next Sonic Universe arc after that. And uh, I really don't see any end um, nice. to my my tenure on Sonic and Sonic Universe. I don't, I don't want to finish, I don't want to end it. Now, I, I will say, you know, having done the same thing for over eight years, there are days when it gets, you know, like, oh, this is a little boring to draw Sonic over and over again. But I, I am fully aware, 100% aware of. How many people out there would like to be where I'm at and how very blessed I am to have the job that I have. It's, I'm probably one in more than a million that have a job that they were, you know, perfect for. So it's, 
I'm very happy and very thankful to be doing what I'm doing. So well, that's nice. Uh, one thing I wanted, I wanted to point out, because as you said earlier, um, Sonic X got a kind of a Archie comic book adaptation. Has there been, if you can talk about it, has there been any, any talk, any notion of adapting Sonic Boom into a comic book? I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, you know, if nothing else, I wouldn't be surprised if they did like a, some kind of a, an adaption from one of the magazine stories or maybe if they did a one-off arc in Sonic Universe or something like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, as far as them having a continuing book about it, I have no idea. Next time will tell. We'll see. Okay. Thank you. Um, we have, I, have, I have kind of a, a set list called the, uh, the Standard 10 that I like to end um, all my interviews with. So it's just kind of 10 very quick-fire questions. If you have like a, a, a spare few minutes for that. Sure, sure. Okay, so in, in, um, I asked you earlier what your favorite and least favorite characters were to draw, but just in terms of maybe their, their personality and how, they, how, how you feel about them. Who would you say your favorite character in, in the – from any span in any – you know any of the comic books, the games, TV shows? Just who is your who you say is your favorite character in the franchise? Um, I don't know. I think maybe I've never really thought about it exactly. Tails is one of my favorite characters overall. I just like him, mm -hmm. his design and his character. I like him a lot. I think maybe though, probably Bunny. <laughs> Bunny, <laughs> she's always positive. She's always you know there to help. She's not you know she doesn't complain or everything. Really huge character flaws. She's a, she's an all around good person, so I like her a lot. And she's a Texas twang. I love Texas twangs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, going up from there, who would you say is your least favorite? Just you know, if there's a character you're like, maybe you say Big the Cat, you're like, not again. Um, as far as uh... from 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 any you know again from any, any cartoon, any game, any comic book, just one character uh -huh. you're like, why are you here? Oh geez, I don't know. Well, I, I don't have any problem with him. I think as far as like why are they here, Big the Cat, I mean, he's kind of pointless. I never found much reason for him. I don't, I don't dislike him as a character necessarily. He just, mm. I don't know that he doesn't really fit. And that's probably why they don't use him anymore in the Sega. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's fine. There's, there's always room for diversity in the cast, but he just doesn't seem to fit in. And then also, a lot of people will be mad at me probably, but Knuckles, I just think he's boring. What? Aww. I don't like him. I just don't really like his... <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of him being there and his, you know, his stalwart, you know, quest to protect the Master Emerald, but I just think he's kind of a boring character, personally. Well, I don't, I, that's, I... don't really ever get much <laughs> of his, his stories. I'm, I'm going to go off on a quick tangent. Um, Knuckles is actually one of my favorite characters. I think, again, um, this is more going from kind of his backstory and how he was used early on in the games. Like, SA1, Sonic Adventure 1, I think, is one of probably his, one of his best interpretations when he's actually the stoic guardian as opposed to just a idiot who just goes around for no reason looking for emeralds. Um, but, like, that's one thing. One of, I say one of... One of the things that I've probably been most disappointed with, and it was no fault of you or Ian, but I was really looking forward to the Knuckles Returns arc in um Universe. Mm -hmm. So the, the trade paperback, because I love Knuckles, so I got the book. And it, the problem I guess I had with it was I was expecting more of a kind of standalone story, and because because I kind of I kind of got into really reading the books through the the saga paperbacks and the Universe paperbacks. I had no idea what the hell was going on. 
who any of like the characters outside of the game characters were. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, it's like, like I have no idea why Knuckles is mad for. Like I, 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 I mean, like Ian does go somewhere to kind of like um, you know, like explain what's going on. But still, I was just like, I have no idea who any of these characters are or like yeah. what's going on. So that's why part of the reason, part of the reason why I'm actually kind of happy post rebuild. I know some fans are mad at this, but like the. I guess it's Knuckles' extended family slash cast has been, I guess, removed from the book. Uh-huh. So it is. I guess I just kind of like it because it means we're gonna he's gonna go back to being more of the kind of hopefully the stoic guardian where he won't be bagged down by like his his daughter and his wife and all those other kids. So I I just personally just felt that kind of took away, away from Knuckles. He's supposed to be the last of his kind. He has like this massive extended family that came out of nowhere. But I don't know. That's just that's just me. Yeah, um, yeah, well, yeah. If you, definitely, if you if you like the, his more game incarnation, his, his his character will be much more like that now from now on. So, um, you know, yeah, that's uh, he's in the current arc, and uh, I will drop just a hint and say that he's coming up again soon. So, and I think you know, yeah, you I think you if you like his game character, you'd probably be more intrigued by what's coming up then. So. Nice. Okay, moving on, uh, Tracy. You said yourself that you grew up as a gamer. What is your favorite Sonic game? That's a really tough question. <laughs> Overall, my favorite is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the Genesis mm-hmm. because it's a long, hard slog <laughs> game. Get, there's so many times I'd play the game and get to the last boss and die, and I'd tear my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, and I used to be, you know, so practiced at it that I could uh, get all seven Chaos Emeralds in the first uh, green or Emerald Emerald Hill Zone, you know. Nice. Like the first two le- first two levels, I could get all seven Emeralds and have Supersonic for the rest of the game, <laughs> which usually was a hindrance because he's so difficult to difficult to control. <laughs> yeah, that was, I, I kind of like that with the earlier Supersonic. You had to kind of be smart when you used them. You couldn't just use them to instantly win because more often than not, you'd end up accidentally killing yourself. <laughs> yes, yes, much more often than not. <laughs> so going up from that, what would you say is your least favorite game to play? Uh, of the Sonic? Yeah. This, mm, I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't know. Oh um, six. I've never played 06, so I don't know. I never had. I didn't have any PS3 or Xbox. You know, though that generation of systems, I didn't. I didn't have either of those. So consider yourself very lucky for being <laughs> torture of playing that game. Yeah, I. You know, um, let me think. I don't know. As far as as far as the the main series of games, not that I dislike it at all in any way. Probably the least fun to play is Sonic the Hedgehog One. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he's a lot slower. He doesn't have the spin dash. It's uh, you know, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I certainly don't dislike the game at all. But it's it's. I just don't think it's a lot of fun to play compared to some of the others. Well, I'd say that that happens a lot. With, with the for the first in a game would be good, but then the sequels would just improve so much upon it that when you go yeah. back to play the original, you kind of just feel like you're playing like a really watered down version of what the series became. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, particularly like in the marble uh, <laughs> zone, the second level, where you're standing there riding on a block through this lava, and you just have to stand there so long that he starts tapping his foot. <laughs> I, I, I'm right there with you, Sonic. Let's go. That's amazing. So uh, go, going up and up, what would you say is your favorite level? Like if there's, uh, if there's, if there's uh, one, le- yeah, yeah. If there was one kind of Sonic level you could replay for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> well, see, I'd probably go nuts. But uh, <laughs> Chemical Plant from Sonic Two, of course. That's, yeah, you can't beat that one. Those big long ramps you run down, 
That's so much fun. I love Chemical Plant. So what would you say your favorite piece of level music track is? Oh, I don't know. Um, that would be right up there on the top also, Chemical Plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's probably right up there. I like a lot of the, I'm sorry, I'll also probably make some people mad. I like the American music on Sonic CD a lot. I, I you know, I like, um, I don't favor one soundtrack or the other. Look, see, I, I think they're pretty similar, frankly. I don't think they're that different, but uh, I, yeah, actually, I, I like the music Sonic CD. I think it's really, really good. One time a friend and me, we actually went through track by track and we kind of voted on it. And it, apparently I do prefer the Japanese track, see, soundtrack by like two tracks overall. But I think, you know, my favorite would be if you could mix and match. Because I think, you know, like, uh, say like the Palm Tree Panic present and like, future good sound better in, in Japan but the American like bad future sounds better than the Japanese one so it's all just kind of a weird yeah I like the music from uh, Stardust Speedway and Sonic CD mm. the bad future that really fast piano riff it's, oh, it's classic and um, also I like the it's one of the past ones I think it has a really strange sort of vocal thing and then like a kind of a, a you know a trumpet or some sort of brass instrument in there it's, it's, I, it's quirky <laughs> and I like it I remember. I think. I think it's the uh, Stardust Speedway pass. It sounds like like a troll video. Like the, it, as you said, it's a, this weird kind of vocal sample. It sounds like that that troll song. That troll. Sounds like that. Like it's just weird. <laughs> so, what would you say if you could pick one one scene or moment in the franchise again from like either the games or the comics or the uh, any of the cartoons, which kind of like just sticks with you when you think of Sonic? You think of this moment. What, what would you say it would be? It's a tough choice. I would say probably uh, for me, uh, the ending of Sonic Two, with the the Silver Sonic and the big Egg Walker thing, and then the Death Egg blowing up and all. Um, there's that, and then also I also like the ending to Sonic Adventure Two a lot with uh, Super Sonic and Super Shadow. I thought that mm. was a lot of fun. I like the whole last level and all that stuff with the grinding on the rails out of outer space. It's just kind of crazy, and I like it. Nice. Um, which of the five soon to be six animated adaptations that the hedgehog has had adventures of uh satayam underground x and the japanese ova which would you say is your favorite if, if, if you watched any of them i've watched yeah, at least some of all of them i think uh yeah i mean i nostalgically the uh saturday morning cartoon i watched that you know very assiduously when i was a kid i, I enjoyed it i think it has a great and fairly unusual tone for a child's cartoon it's not it's not as good it's just like it's up there with transformers and those things it's not as good as i remember it being of course it still it holds up pretty well pretty yeah well. I, th- I think so i think so you know and uh, yeah i think there's a lot of you know interesting design choices and you know color schemes and you know storytelling themes that they you know a lot a lot darker not as dark as i think some people would you know, think <laughs> that it is but it is—it's pretty dark for a Saturday morning cartoon about a hedgehog. Yeah, I mean, I—I uh, yeah, I still, I still love their interpretation of Robotnik. And like with Jim Cummins' voice, it's just like that—that's one of my favorite Robotniks, the one from the um, Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was all it was all pretty good. It was, it was really enjoyable. I liked it. And I like I, I I like the quality, you know, of Sonic X. It's you know typical Japanese animation. It's just really good. You know, it's not. Not the best animation ever, but it's it's pretty high quality for what you get, and it's it's a fun show. So, okay, now this this one is probably going to be a bit um a bit biased, but which of, of all the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog comic books would you, would you say is your favorite? Oh, uh, I don't know. 
I would you think I would say universe, but <laughs> I I know I think I like the, the you know the regular series. There's just been so much you know for so long. It's 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 mm. a very unique thing. Well, you know, I think it's it's impressive, you know, as which I don't think is brought up enough. It's it's a Guinness World Record holder of like the longest running. Um, how do I phrase it? It's the longest running comic book based off of a pre existing franchise. Yeah, which it's incredibly impressive. I think you know. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say, I mean, yeah, for a lot of years I didn't, uh, and I picked, you know, I used to read it. You know, I, I think it was up to like issue twenty five or thirty that I, I read the old, you know, the series back when I was a kid. I just kind of dropped off and I didn't read it and it was hard it was getting harder to find for one thing where I was at so then through college you know I didn't see it I went to a comic shop one time and I think I, was, I saw an issue like 75 or so on the on the uh, 74 or something like that on the rack at the comic shop and I was like I couldn't believe that they were still printing it you know after all those years <laughs> and then uh you know you know again I, I just I have never read comic books particularly you know at all so I you know I didn't I didn't read it I didn't continue to read it I picked up that issue, I think, and I read it, and that was it. But then again, you know, some years later, you know, it was still going on. So, well, yeah. know, yes, it's, it is very impressive. Well, I remember picking up because I think it's maybe in um, the first part of the third arc of Wars Collide was issue 250 in the main book. I remember just picking up and just being like, this is bloody impressive. that This has lasted for 250 months. You know, yes. I mean, I think it's... It's like, it's like this lasted 20s. I mean, there, there's some kind of like, I mean, obviously not, not their main books, but there's certain like, like say, like Superman, Spider-Man spin-off books that don't last 20 years, you know? Like that's, that's incredibly impressive. It is. It is very much. I think at least in part, you know, it was for a while there for some years, it was really the only, you know, consistent place where Sonic fans could get their Sonic fix. You know, after the, um, mm. you know, the, the Sega Saturn, years and uh through the dream uh, you know and then up to the dreamcast before that you know there really was there were not very many you know yeah i think it's between like sonic games i think so. between like 95 and 98 there were like no real games and no like cartoons so yeah the comic would have been the only place where for a long time look at the and to, to end off the uh, standard 10 a, a question that as uh fans have argued about for years SA1 or SA2? Uh, which one's better? Yeah, which, which one do you prefer? Oh, that is also, that's a really tough question. I I don't know. If, um, I think if you go down for just nostalgia, I think I enjoyed playing Sonic Adventure 2 a little more. Oh. Although I think that Sonic Adventure 1 is the better game. Okay. I think Sonic Adventure 1 is the better game. You know, it has a stronger story. It has you know, a stronger um, gameplay overall. Hmm. I just like how ridiculous and over the top the second one is. I love <laughs> the, the uh, Shadow of the Hedgehog, and I like all the rail grinding and stuff, and and the, you know the, the yeah the way over the top story. It's just a lot of fun. Okay, well, thanks. Um, if you have a few more minutes, uh, Tracy, we just have a few fan questions that they've fans have sent in to ask you. Sure. Well, so we have um, a question from. Now, Caleb Beck himself sent in about five questions, but you, you've answered most of them over the course. So, um, so, okay, so what is so two of his questions that you haven't answered yet? I'd say would be what has been your favorite thing to draw outside of comic books, like say animals or landscapes? And he also wants to know what type of art equipment do you usually use? Uh, my favorite things, I I think what I'm best at drawing and I get the most enjoyment out of is 
again, buildings and cars, which strangely is what most people are not, you know, they're not as good at or not as practiced at at any rate. You know, mm. you know they don't want to practice drawing cars and things. I really enjoy this one. One of the big draws of the riding shotgun book is I got to draw a lot of car chase sequences. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and my, the stuff that I normally use, I mean, Archie Comics sends me um, the blue, the pro boards, blue line paper. But, you know, if I were to do it myself, if I had to buy my own paper, I like I did with riding shotgun, I, I get um, uh, Bristol board, you know, Strathmore Bristol board. I usually like the, uh, the rougher texture. I don't like my paper to be super smooth. I prefer it not to be super smooth. Uh, and then um, I usually stick with an you know, there's H, H, B, and, you know, various grades of H and B. And I like my the F pencil. It's kind of right in the middle there, but not it's not too hard and not too soft. If you get a really soft lead, it smears all over the page. If you get a really hard lead, then it's difficult to erase, and you can't really get very dark with it. I generally erase things with a kneaded eraser. If, I don't know if you know what that is. It's a usually a gray, soft rubber that has been kneaded, K-N-E-A-D-E-D. Like bread, you know, knead the bread. So that it has a consistency very similar to clay, and it doesn't get that shaving stuff everywhere. You know, when you use a regular pink eraser, the eraser breaks apart and has all these little shavings everywhere. Then you have to wipe your hand across the page and smear everything up. But a, a kneaded eraser doesn't do that. So that's that's why I use those. Occasionally, if I make a really deep dark mark on the page, it, it, I'll have to go to a normal, you know, eraser for that. But uh, that's pretty much it. You know, I don't, uh, I don't really do a lot of digital artwork. I have a eight and a half by eleven scanner that I, I scan the top half of my page, and then I scan the bottom half, and I stick them together in Photoshop. It's just a pain. I need to pony up the money and get a decent, big flatbed scanner someday. Uh, but um, you know, I use Photoshop to do my coloring, and that's pretty much it. You know, I, I scan and I do some coloring in Photoshop. That's the extent of my digital. Uh, artwork is that is that would you say is that becoming more of a norm now that um colorists will just do it digitally just because it's kind of i guess i would imagine it's just yeah. kind of it's just easier and cheaper oh, yeah definitely coloring in comic books i think unless it's a painted book is pretty much universally done you know i would almost say with photoshop i mean some people hmm. might use paint or some you know or some other kind of program i don't know but yeah, everybody I know uses Photoshop because it's just really, really powerful. It's you know, kind of the industry standard. That's good work. Yeah, it's 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 really useful, exceedingly useful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, except I, I know that Ben Bates does some of his drawing and stuff digitally, and or at least his layouts at any rate and things like that. So you know, it depends on the artist. I tend to try to keep more traditional as much as I can, just because that's what I know how to do. (laughs) (laughs) Some guy that I, some other fellow that I knew has like this thing called a Cintiq tablet, which I've never used, but it sounds like a pretty powerful tool. And, uh, you know, if I had a couple grand to throw down on one, maybe I'd get one, but, uh, you know, who knows? Nice. Uh, Calvin uh, Singh asks, what is the weirdest artwork you've ever done? The weirdest? Oh, my. Um, Hmm. That would probably be some of the Sonic commissions. I, you know, some people <laughs> ask for characters tickling each other's feet and things like that. <laughs> what? So 
that's that's usually some of the stranger artwork as the commission things people ask me to draw <laughs> have, you, have you have you ever turned down a commission like someone's asked you to draw something that's just too weird for you you're um, like I think I don't recall if I've ever had too many. Yeah, I, I generally make it a rule that I'm not going to do anything too, uh, you know, pornographic or whatever. So, <laughs> so yeah, or too too gory, violent. I'll do some, you know, a little bit of violence in my drawings if, if it's, you know. I do. I, I tend to stay away from that with Sonic. You know, I mean, I'll have you know the characters fighting or getting beat up or whatever, but I'm not going to have like you know blood and guts spilling everywhere. So, so if I was to ask you to draw Shadow ripping off Rouge's head and she's naked, you'd say no. Yeah, I would definitely say no to that. Damn. I've got to someone else. Um, Stephanie uh, Tamez says, if you've seen any any footage of it, what are your thoughts on the new Sonic cartoon, Sonic Boom? Uh, I think it looks cool. I don't. I was. In, I'm still in this. I'm a little bit on the fence about it. I have to wait and see. I think. I think it's great that they're doing something different. I. I want to like the designs, and I kind of do. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still have. I, I need to see him and you know live with him a little bit longer to decide. <laughs> have you Have you tried drawing? I've been asked to draw any of the boom designs. I, I have actually already drawn a Sonic in that style. I think it's cool, you know. I think it, it's a neat, different design. I think I, you know, not to be critical of these uh, you know, talented people, right? I think the only flaw, really, is there's a little too much athletic tape. <laughs> yes, <laughs> people have already said. Yeah, it's not. It does make sense. They would wear it. It makes perfect sense. But I think it's just a little too much. Yeah. Well, I think I think Sonic looks. I mean, Sonic design isn't that different to how he looks now. You know, I know. and I know it, it's an, it's also a nitpick. It's completely a nitpick, and it's really not a big deal about Sonic's blue arms. I think uh, somebody had mentioned that they gave him blue arms, so it would be that much more obvious that this is Sonic Boom Sonic, and not regular Sonic. You know, uh, well, I that's just, fine. Mm. That makes sense, but it's still something about it just gets to me. <laughs> the problem you know, I, I know the, the, the problem I have with the blue arms is, and I, I get why they did that to make him match more of like Knuckles and Tails and everyone, but Amy still has like the skin colored arms. Uh-huh. So I'm just like, it's not consistent. Like, if Amy had the pink arms, I'd be fine with it. But they kept Amy with, with skin yeah, colored arms. So I'm like, why? I don't get it. It's not consistent. See, I'm, I will go for like, you can you can change things as much as you want. But for me, there just has to be some kind of like consistency within that universe. So I don't see the fact that they're both hedgehogs, why he has blue arms and she doesn't. But whatever. Yeah. It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. Also, not to be... Um, uh... Um, what well, I guess arrogant or whatever the word would be, but I'd like to think maybe, maybe they read that old uh, thirty years later arc with Tails and got a little inspired with his design. <laughs> it looks really similar to that it design. Does. It does look very similar. Wow, I, I, I mean, I, it would be cool to think that maybe I had a little influence there, but well, I, who knows? <laughs> Damn it, he does. That's amazing. <laughs> um, Bradley Sweet asks, "Are you a fan of Crush Forty? I like their music. Uh, probably, maybe I wouldn't if it wasn't, uh, you know, involved with Sonic. I don't dislike <laughs> it at all, and I, that's not the typical kind of music I would listen to. But I think it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's it is certainly you know really nice and energetic. Mm. It's good to listen to while you're working, you know. So, and then of course it also has the nostalgia factor. So, you know, so it's, yeah, I, I enjoy their music. Uh, John Phillips asks. Um... This is kind of uh, he asks, what do you think of the other people working on the comic, like the writers and the other artists? Like, do you have like a close personal relation, working relationship with them? 
well, not too terribly close, I guess. But I mean, I do, I do, uh, I very much admire, respect, and uh, appreciate the, having such good people to work with. Ian is fantastic. I, I speak with him occasionally here. I definitely consider him a friend of mine, uh, and also the editor Paul Kaminsky. Uh, yeah, I've spoken with just about everybody else uh, who works on the book. If not personally, then over email certainly. Um, you know, I think uh, they're all a very talented bunch. Jim Amish and Terry Austin do both do fantastic inks. They have different styles, but they both complement my work, you know, really well. Uh, the colorists are great. I love, um, you know, what they've done with the, the style of the book. It's really nice and sharp looking. Um, you know, the letters, uh, I really like um, uh, John Workman. He's a fantastic, fantastic letterer. It's really his stuff really works, you know. It really adds to the page, and I, I'm I'm really disappointed in some ways that they've gone all digital with the lettering, because it kind of takes away a little bit from the original artwork when I get it back. But there's you know these big empty spaces where there's no words anymore. Hmm. Now you know that's that's a little disappointing, but I know that they still do really fantastic work on the books. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm just, uh, like I said, my other, the other artists, the other pencilers, Evan Stanley, Ben Bates, Jamal Peppers, they're all really, really great artists. And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see them working on the book. I'm glad that mm. there's a, you know, a lot of good talent doing it. So, yeah, I have to say, I loved, um, Ben Bates, Worlds Collide Arc. I thought that that was, that was some of the best work I've seen in the book. It like, it really looks is. so good. Yeah, all those shots with all those characters. The playing ro- stuff, I mean, amazing. I want I want the opening splash page where there's like every single robot master. I want that as a poster. Yeah. So I can like hang that on my wall. It looks so good. <laughs> it would be fantastic. So I should say this. Um, we've come to the end of our interview. I want to thank you so much, Tracy, for uh, taking time out of your very busy schedule to waste some time with a Sonic nerd like like myself. You're very welcome. I, I really appreciate it. I want to say thank you for you know what you're doing for me and uh, uh, you know all of, all of my fans. I, it's like I said before. It, I know I know very well you know what a special job, what a special thing that I have and that I do. You know, I know there's a lot of people that enjoy my work and and uh, you know I, I'm, I'm glad that I can be a part of their lives in some way or another. And I hope they continue to enjoy what I do. And I hope that I you know live up to everybody's expectations and, and do the best I can. And I want to specifically also thank a, a fellow named Elson Wong, who uh, recently compiled uh, a, a trade paperback of the Pirate Plunder Panic Story and did, did the, the whole thing with a cover and all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, bonus content and, and, uh, and fan art from a lot of the different fans. Mm. I want to thank all of them. Uh, not personally, I can't name them all, but just because there's a bunch. I, 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 actually, I actually believe a friend of mine did. Um, Bobby Hardley worked with Dawn Best, who I believe did some work on the book. I believe they actually made a variant cover for that. And, for that indeed, book. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really a huge, just amazing, uh, you know, thing. It, it's such a, a nice tribute to me, and I, I really am amazed and blown away by it that people would take that much time and effort to to do something for me like that. So. You know, I thank them very much. And uh, again, yeah, I also thank the people over in England who, who helped me come over to that show. And uh, to know that I have fans all around the world that enjoy my work is just amazing. It's just amazing. So I really, really appreciate it. Well, again, as, as, I, as I've said before, some of our email correspondence, Tracy, just, we just, you know, I want to 
maybe I'm being a bit too presumptuous here, but I just want to say on behalf of the fans, thank you for just making Sonic look so good for like I think it's maybe ten years now you've been on the on that book. A little over eight, eight and a half. Hey, okay, well, I say well, I should say thank you so much for making him for making him look good for eight years, which there was some times beforehand and even during that time in the games where maybe he he did not. So thank you for being the one consistent thread of making the blue blur look so good. Well, I, you know, I'm a Sonic fan too, so it's it's my it's my duty to <laughs> <laughs> do the best by him that I can. Okay, well, I have to say thank you again, everyone, and we will see you soon in another Skype sanctuary sometime soon. Yeah, be great. You're smarter than a robot. Subscribe and leave a five-star review for this and other FTCR shows on Apple Podcasts. You boob. He has-